I'd like for you to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. I guess, uh, I think I mentioned last week that, that the letter, 2 Corinthians letter, is the most personal that Paul wrote. And it carries in it, has contains in it, the most intimate feelings of this man. And so that's why I suppose that it is so rich. Beginning verse 1. Boasting is necessary, though it is not profitable. But I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ... He's talking about himself, but he doesn't identify himself as such. He says, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago, whether in the body, I do not know, or out of the body, I don't know. God knows such a man was caught up to the third heaven. And I know how such a man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I do not know, God knows, was caught up into paradise and heard inexpressible words which a man is not permitted to speak. I guess he did. On behalf of such a man will I boast, but on my own behalf I will not boast except in regard to my weaknesses. For if I do wish to boast, I should not be foolish, for I shall be speaking the truth, but I refrain from this, so that no one may credit me with more than he sees in me or hears from me. And because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, for this reason to keep me from exalting myself, there was given me a thorn in a flesh, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, to keep me from exalting myself. Concerning this... I entreated the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And He has said to me, and He keeps on saying, as the imperfect tense, My grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses that the power of Christ might dwell in me, make a tent over me is the word, Therefore I will well content, therefore I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. There is a prayer, I think, that most of us pray more than any other prayer. Sometime I wish I hadn't, because God doesn't always answer our prayers the way we expected. We have these mental pictures of how God is going to answer our prayers. The only problem is that most of the time He doesn't answer the way we anticipated He would. Have you ever found that to be true? I suppose that the prayer that most of us pray more than any other prayer is, Lord, make us usable, or Lord, keep us usable. I think the reason why we pray that prayer most often is because there is no more pitiful sight than to see a person whom God has used and God has blessed 
get himself into a situation or a position, a status, a condition where God can no longer use him. I remember here R.G. Lee tell about this preacher friend of his who was this powerful preacher that God blessed with an eloquent delivery and all that. God poured out blessing upon his ministry. This guy got into trouble, you know the story, some immorality. And one day he said, uh, this preacher came to him into his office and sat down and it had been a long time since he'd preached. He'd, he'd gotten, in, gotten a job and gotten out of ministry. And he said he kind of sat there for a while and hinted about asking about some things. And then he said he's just the most pitiful man, said, kind of leaning over his desk. He said, Dr. Lee, would you let me preach one more time? And he said, I looked at that man. He said, I thought I saw Samson, blind Samson, who had ground at the mill like like an animal feeling for the pillars of the enemy temples, saying, let me feel the pillars one more time. The Apostle Paul feared this, and that's why he said, I keep my body under subjection, lest having preached to others, I myself am put on the shelf. What he was saying is this, I live in constant awareness that I can, after preaching to others, I can get myself into a condition that God can no longer use me. And so I beat my body, black and blue, literally, spiritually, so that I'll never get in that condition. Um, The question that this text answers is, How does God keep us usable? Before I answer that question for us, I want to to deal briefly right up front with a a logical question that is on your mind. What is it that, that endangers our usableness? I mean, what threatens us and our usable. Now, what can, act, what can happen to a person that will get him into a position that would make him useless to God? Well, the answer to that question is a shocking one. What, makes, what, is, what endangers our usableness? The blessing of God. I want you to look at verse 7 again. And because, and because of, look at this, the surpassing greatness of the revelations. Paul is saying that I had this abundant revelation from God that caught me up into the third heaven and I heard inexpressible words that I'm not even permitted to talk about. And it was because of that that I'm in danger of becoming unusable. It is the very occasion of this abundant revelation became the very thing that threatened his usableness. It always does. And so we look back on some great experience we had and we keep looking back and pride begins to well up in us. And we get into a position because of the very blessing of God to the place where God can no longer use us. And I'm absolutely convinced that God would bless us more, but He knows He can't trust us with it. He knows that we can't handle it. How do you keep Paul usable? 
Well, he brought Paul to a condition of humility. Let me say this. I believe that the greatest, uh, the, the, the biggest challenge God has in our life is to keep us humble and to destroy our pride and to cause us to know that we can't handle life. Now, if you'll just hold my place a minute, I want to take off this for about two minutes on a side road. I think that pride has two expressions. I think it's the, pride has the expression of self-sufficiency. Occasionally, I do some family counseling. And occasionally there'll be a wife or there'll be a husband who'll come in there and you can just tell they're just chafing under being there. They just can't stand it. And so I'll turn to them occasionally and I'll say, well, how do you feel about being here for this counseling? Without exception, they'll say, we don't need this counseling. We can take care of our own problems. I've been trying to convince him or her that we're big enough to handle our own problems. We're not. I think the biggest challenge that Jesus had in Simon Peter was to convince Simon Peter that he wasn't self-sufficient. And it took him three years and he didn't get the job done. So at the end of Jesus' ministry, he turned him over to Satan to sift him so that Peter would learn once and for all that he is not self-sufficient. I think there's a second expression of pride, and that's self-satisfaction. For we'll never turn to the resources of God until we get sick and tired of our own resources. And so Israel came out of Egypt, and they thought about leeks and cucumbers and garlics, and they were thinking about all they'd eaten in, in Egypt. And until they cried out for God, to God in their hunger, God could not satisfy them miraculously. Self-satisfaction. Now I'm back to the place. What is it that God does in a person's life that keeps him usable? First, He gives us a gift that makes us weak. Now I didn't, I didn't miss that. I, need, I said it correctly. He gives us a gift that makes us weak. Weak, And Paul said, I was given this thorn in the flesh, messenger of Satan. What a revelation. That there can be a gift from God and a messenger of Satan at the same time. And he said, he gave me this gift, this messenger of Satan, to buffet me. And the word in the Greek means to literally beat with the fist. And what Paul is saying is, what a gift he gave me, a messenger from Satan, to use my life like a punching bag. And all the time he was beating on my life with his fist, God was saying in the imperfect tense, and it means that he said it, and he kept on saying, my strength is made perfect in weakness. My strength is made perfect in weakness. And then Paul drew the bottom line and said, you can stop beating on me. I get the message. When I am weak, then I'm strong. Now I want you to turn to the book of 2 Chronicles. It's an Old Testament book, and it'll be better for you. It'll mean more if you hold it in your hand. Don't just look over your shoulder. 
somebody else. Turn to Second Chronicles, Second Chronicles chapter twenty-six. Second Chronicles chapter twenty-six. And the writer of this historical book is giving us the account of Uzziah. How he prospered and how he succeeded. And he says in verse 5 of chapter 26, And he continued to seek God in the days of Zechariah, who had understanding through the vision of God. And as long as he sought the Lord, God prospered him. And it goes on to tell what he did. For example, verse 13, And under their direction was an elite army of 300,500 who could wage war with great power to help the king against the enemy. Moreover, Uzziah prepared for all the army's shields, spears, helmets. He just describes what he did. Verse 15, And in Jerusalem he made engines of war, invented by skillful men to be on the towers and on the corners. He invented them for the purpose of shooting arrows and great stones. Hence his fame spread afar, for he was marvelously helped what? Look at that next phrase. Until he was strong. He was marvelously helped. Until he was strong. Now we have a, we've established a principle in this, in this church. That you get the principles of the Christian life in the New Testament. And you get the pictures of those principles in the Old Testament. Now what you have in 2 Chronicles 26 is a picture of this principle. Listen to it from 1 Corinthians. For consider your calling, brethren, that there were not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong. And the base things of the world God has chosen. Three times He uses the word. He has deliberately chosen the base and the weak and the small. Now I think we have an idea that God just kind of gets by with what He, you know, what he can get. He just kind of makes it with what He can get. I want you to listen to me carefully. The very condition of your usableness to God is your weakness. And God doesn't just get by with what He can get together. He deliberately chooses the weak and the base and the non-mighty. I wish I could get that across. And when we go out on visitation on Monday night, we get that list of people and we choose the mighty and the great and the strong. You, may know, you want to know how to go out and visit and never have any competition, worry about somebody being there ahead of you. You choose the base and the weak and the foolish. And you say, well, you mean God can't use a strong man? You bet He can. If He dies to His strength, He can. You mean God can't use a gifted man? Yes, He can use a gifted man if He dies to His gifts. And so the Apostle Paul says, He sent this thorn in the flesh to make me weak as a gift. And it's a, the word means a wooden stake. He impaled me in my helplessness. For in my helplessness was the strength of God perfected. Now what was this thorn in the flesh? Everybody's got an opinion about it. 
It's a good thing God didn't tell us what it was or we'd limit that to, to the only way He'd make us weak. Let me tell you what it was. This thorn in the flesh was that which God negotiates in your life to bring you to the place of weakness. Let me say three things about it. It's a gift of discipline. I'll just have a chance to mention them. It's a gift of discipline. Sometimes He disciplines us. He rebukes us. It's a gift of disappointment, discouragement. Have you ever noticed how often the Psalms come out of the disappointments of a man's life? It's a gift of disappointment, and He negotiates disappointments in your life. It's a gift of denial. The Apostle Paul said three times, I requested of the Lord. That's a Hebrew idiom. It means again and again and again I asked God to remove it. And again and again He reminded me He wasn't going to change His mind. And so He brings discipline and He brings disappointment and He brings denial. He requests. And all of it in order that you might be weak. You ever thought about it? When Moses, was, when Moses thought he was totally prepared to be the Savior of his people, killing the Egyptians one at a time, perhaps, God could not use him. And he took him out on the backside of the desert for 40 years, finally came to him and said, I need somebody to save my people. He said, I can't do it. I'm weak. I'm not eloquent. I can't talk. I'm tongue-tied. And God said, you're just the man I'm looking for. And Dwight L. Moody was this man who butchered the king's English. He, he, he was uneducated. He, he was overweight. He had a high-pitched voice, even higher than mine. And he went over to England, and the tabloids in London said this about Dwight L. Moody. He has a high-pitched voice. He murders the king, queen's English. He's overweight. He's fat. We're afraid he's going to have a stroke when he preaches. And we can find nothing in Dwight L. Moody that would... to make us weak. Second, He gives us grace to make us strong. He gives us grace to make us strong. All that God is seeking in the thorn is to drive us to the fount of His blessing, of His grace. Now the Apostle Paul asked for the removal of the thorn. God gave him something better. He gave him grace. Now if you think that grace, if your idea of grace is that saving grace that saves you, and that's the only idea you have of grace, your only concept of grace, that's a very not narrow concept of grace. I mean, let me tell you what Peter says about grace. He says, each one has received a special gift. Employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. And that word manifold there means the many faceted, the many faces of grace. And what he's saying is, is that grace has many aspects to it, many facets to it. It's not just grace to save us. It's grace for every need. 
Let me show you a couple of things about this manifold grace. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 says, But by the grace of God I am what I am. And His grace toward me did not prove vain, but I labored more than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God with me. That's laboring grace. Did you know that God will give you grace for your job tomorrow? You get up and go to work, and that lousy boss you've got? That's what they say when you come to work here. I mean, a lousy boss. All that stress you're under, He gives grace for that. 2 Corinthians chapter 9 says, And God is able to make all grace abound to you, that always having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed. You know what he's saying? He's saying he's giving you, He gives you grace to give to every cause there is. He says, I can't afford this ministry. He gives grace for that ministry. Ephesians 3, 7 and 8 says, Of which I made a minister according to the gift of grace, of God's grace. He gives grace to preach. What Paul is saying is this. How does God make you and keep you usable? By dealing out His grace to make you strong at the moment of your need of it. There's dying grace. There's forgiving grace. There's loving grace. Now I need to say a couple of things about that grace. First is, it's adequate. My grace is sufficient. That's an understatement. Now how many of you believe this morning that by faith God's grace will save? You all believe that. God's grace will save us if we trust Him. He, you know, uh, His grace is sufficient to save us. I mean, His grace... Is sufficient to save me. I don't have to do anything to help him out. All I got to do is trust him and appropriate it and receive it by faith. For by grace are you saved through faith. That not of yourselves, it is a gift of God. That word is in the aorist tense. It means, for by grace you have been saved from the penalty of sin. For by grace you are being saved from the power of sin. For by grace you will be saved from the presence of sin. But that grace that saves you in that initial act of your faith is the grace that keeps you saved. I need to be saved when I was 13. I recognize that. Let me tell you something. I'm 53. If I, my math's not off, that's 40 years ago. I still need the same grace to save me when I'm 53. And I got a feeling it is a lot easier to save me when I was 13 than it is when I'm 53. I got a strong suspicion of that. Let me tell you something. God didn't need any of my help to save me when I was 13. He doesn't need any of my help to save me now that I'm 53. His grace is sufficient. Let me tell you something. You'll not encounter anything tomorrow that His grace is not sufficient to meet. Not only is it adequate, it's available. Ron Dunn calls this the wizard of is. My grace is sufficient. One day he said, I was walking down the street. I was facing a real crisis in my life. And he said, I was praying, Lord, I pray, I trust your grace to be sufficient for this need. And he said, oh, I was quoting this passage. I was quoting this verse. My grace is sufficient for you. He said, all of a sudden, it just dawned on me. 
It's not my grace will be sufficient. It's my grace is sufficient. So he said instead of begging God for His grace to be sufficient, he just started praising God that it was right then sufficient. My grace is sufficient. He gives us a gift to make us weak. He gives us grace to make us strong. He gives us glory to make us victorious. Now I want you to look at verse 9 of this verse, of this passage. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses. And that word boast there means a shout of triumph. A shout of triumph is what happens when the buzzer sounds and this team has just won the national championship. There's a shout of triumph goes up. And they run out onto the court and they swallow each other up in the mass of the excitement and the glory of it. It's what happens when the last note of the symphony is played and people leap to their feet in a standing ovation and they shout the shout of triumph. The only difference is that this shout of triumph goes up before the game even starts. And this shout of triumph goes up before the symphony plays the first note. For it is the recognition by faith that before I fight the battle, the battle is already won. Really, it's not our weakness that makes us strong. It's the glorying in our weakness that makes us strong. For I know some weak people that God can't use because they're resigned to their weakness. But I know some people this morning who are weak and they are impaled by the, by the stake. But before the battle is ever engaged, they send up a shout of triumph because there is no doubt in their mind. By faith, the victory is theirs. And the conclusion is, is that the Apostle Paul learned a lot from the third heaven experience. Man, who wouldn't? Now, I'm not ready to go up there and, you know, to fun and um, spend the rest of the time. i got a little living yet to do, I'd like to do. I know it's not my prerogative, but not my choice. But I would, but you know, I wouldn't mind just taking a little trip up there, you know, for a couple of hours and checking it out, you know, seeing how my mansion's coming along, you know. Would anybody, you, wouldn't, you wouldn't care about it. I bet you I could come back and I could, I bet I could keep everybody here awake. If I, if I came back and, and I told what I just seen, some of you wouldn't believe it. You'd think, well, that guy would surely, no, nah, not him. You know. I bet you I could tell you something this morning that I'd learned in the third heaven experience that sets you on the end of that pew. Let me tell you something. I can tell you a lot more about what I've learned through the thorn than I can the third heaven. I've got something I can tell you 
that'll set you on the edge of your pew. I learned when Satan was beating me up. And the bottom line is, I want to be usable. And this is what he says. He says that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Let me tell you, hear me now. You're never, ever, ever any value to God unless the power of God abides in you. And he said, when I get this weakness, when I get weak enough, and I'm driven to the fount of grace, and I'm taking His grace for need after need, need at a time, then God begins to pitch a tent. That word literally means He begins to pitch a tent over me and moves in and dwells continually. It's not some temporary roller coaster experience of power and weakness and power and weakness. It's the power of God indwelling me. That's the bottom line of the thorn. Still won't pray that prayer? Make me usable? Be careful. For you may go out of here so weak he could. Let's pray. Our Father, how deeply rich is your truth. How may how we are made aware of the misinterpretation of how you deal with us. And so while we wait for you to zap us with some spectacular experience so that we can leap tall buildings and fly faster than the speed of sound, you are making us weak enough to be usable. Blessed thorn, precious weakness. I pray, Lord, that the purpose of your dealing in our life might be accomplished in this invitation, for I pray in Jesus' name. Now look here, there's a, there are three invitations simultaneously. One is to receive Christ as your personal Savior, to come and give Him your heart and life. When you're weak enough that you know that you're not sufficient to save yourself, and you know you can't do a thing, about accomplishing your righteousness except confessing Jesus and believing in your heart God raised Him from the dead. You'll be saved. Why don't you give up this effort? Please God and earn your way to heaven and all that stuff. Be acceptable. And come as a sinner, helpless, lost, unable to save yourself. And throw yourself upon the mercy of God and by faith trust Him and Him alone. Or maybe you need to come this morning to place your life in the church. Or because God has so dealt with you in the messenger that you finally got the message that you're not to be satisfied with your life anymore or self-sufficient. Would you do it? You will come to say, I want to recommit my life to you. While we stand to sing, we invite you to respond.